0: comes louder he's one-on-one with Hemsley and Hemsley blocks it Mitchell spins on child's hand one Cal up
1: top Shepard
0: Shepard was asking for it for three oh. he dropped the he was petting well
1: Watson and a foul this is a clinic this is Aztec basketball
0: man how sweet it is and this is the aztec breakdown podcast my name is austin bolton and hosting me with with me today is the aztec breakdown podfather himself trone you can find um, us on twitter at aztec breakdown you can find me on twitter at it's austin bolton uh, you can find carly at car mcgee kyle at call me kinslow jacob at aztec analytics you know don't forget to rate like Review, give five stars, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. Let's just blow through that part because let's get to the fun stuff. The Aztecs dominated Furman to get to the sweet sixteen, 75 to fifty two. Trone. What is your what is your reaction?
1: I mean, my reaction is, it's just nice to be back, I think. Um, you know, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, Preseason, Kyle and I did our like expectation show, and I said that I expected the team to go like sixteen and two in conference. They barely missed out on that, right? Um, but that uh, then I also thought they would make the Sweet Sixteen, and so they've hit that. Um, and and over the course of the year, that goal kind of got moved down to where it was like, let's just win a game in March and everything else is gravy and so to win the game on Thursday I didn't get to watch that one because I had work because I'm an adult now and being an adult is stupid Um, so I didn't get to watch that one but the round of 32 game against Furman I got to watch and it was so nice being able to watch a game where they absolutely dominated and I, I think I saw on Twitter it's like the biggest scoring margin the Mountain West has ever had in the tournament and so like what a game to be able to watch it was just fun it was just a fun game there was no stress there was no nothing like that it was just a fun game to watch um and so it i i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna enjoy it i got I got into a discussion with somebody on Twitter who was like talking about the refs and the calls they were making, and I was like, "I'm not going to complain about the refs when the team is up 20." And he was like, "You can complain and enjoy the game." And I was like, "That's awesome for you. I'm happy. I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing both at the same time. So I'm happy that you can. I'm even envious, but I can't. So I'm just going to enjoy it." Um, so that was that was fun. But it's just it was yeah, it was a great weekend for me. I think. What was how how did you feel? Well, I got a question for you first. Were oh, you okay, able cool. to, were you able to not get
0: spoilers on Thursday? Or did you know or did I, you know before you DVR like watched it
1: after the fact? I haven't even watched it after the fact. Oh, okay. Um, I I only saw the highlights. I was following along with it more than I I should have. Um so so listeners for a while will know that I'm I'm a teacher, right? And I started mm-hmm teaching this school year which is why I've been so MIA so much right on the show and like why oftentimes the only time I can record is when I'm walking my dog because so much of my time is spent like I'm away from home 12 hours a day between the commute and the time and everything um and then my weekends are spent just preparing for the next week and it's it's just not the easiest life and it's also not the hardest life right i'm not like a coal miner or whatever i'm not trying to woe is me but just just uh, it's been busy right um that being said i got all my students into march madness by offering them extra credit if they beat my bracket um so they were all into it so like they were following the scores i had the game up on the tv in my classroom It, it was whatever the first game was what was it west virginia and whoever they were playing i don't even remember Uh, like I had that game up on the TV just with no noise while they were doing their stuff, right? Um, so like I was following along throughout the day. I had a, I had a friend, I got a buddy of mine from back when I still lived in California. He was like a grad assistant for the Aztecs long, long time ago. Um... And so, you know, he, I keep in touch with him and he watches the games obviously. And he, he texts me at one point point. he's just like, he, I don't even remember what he said. Like, this is stupid or just something like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm like checking the score on my phone, right? I'm trying to teach. I, I, I teach high school history, but they also have me teaching elementary art to like third and, and second graders. And so I think I'm with a second grade class and I'm like checking my phone to look at the score, which I shouldn't be doing. It's not professional at all, but it's March madness and they shouldn't have had me working on a Thursday is what I say to that. Um, hey, everybody! So I, yeah. Loved the teacher growing
0: up that put March Madness on. We had those. That's
1: what I'm saying. I, you know, you know what's bogus is I'm still after that. I'm still only everybody's second favorite teacher. So, it's dumb. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So I like I was following along with the game as it was happening. I just couldn't couldn't watch it.
0: Yeah, I we we I worked from home that day it was what I used that as one of my work from home days because I work hybrid schedule. And, mm-hmm. but like, I was so busy, I'm like running back and forth between my computer and trying to watch, but like still kind of working and paying attention. And it was, uh, it was definitely the, not the most attentive game I've ever watched in my life, but you know, that's just how it goes. Like, I, I, we, my buddies and I used to take every Thursday and Friday off of March Madness, and we'd like go and go to the bar, or, like do whatever, and like go hang out and watch all the games, but that wasn't, uh, not able to do that this year. But, um, but yeah, back to back to this one, My, You know, it's funny, I put posted this on Twitter, like, I was like paralyzed with happiness. I wasn't even loud. I was just like, "They freaking did it! They did it!" And it, it was such a roller coaster all year of like, almost blowing some. We blew a lead early, and we, you know, we kind of came out of a sour taste of our mouth from Maui, and we we had this roller coaster of a year, and we won a lot of games, but we, we didn't win them pretty. So there was a lot of there was a lot of negativity out there, and like you said, we're about as close to the overall expectations, if this was October 1st, than that we were going for. Jaden Ledee has been fantastic. Lamont took the next step. Matt Bradley kind of carried the way. We got this 3-and-D guy from Michigan who has stepped up and hit big shots. Every one of those kind of things that we were expecting has happened. It just wasn't this straight line. It was this, you know, going each and every other way. But we kind of got here and I think really, the the thing that showed the most about winning the first game is just how how much the expectations kind of weighed on the team, because they I've never seen them play quite that loose as a group, and be, especially after Maui after Maui they tightened up they're just like oh no like this isn't going how we thought, and I thought in the second game against Furman they just it just it showed like Carly's favorite play of the game was the no look pass by Keyshawn. If he would have mm-hmm. made that play mm-hmm. in Mountain West play, and it got deflected, the fan base would have went freaking crazy. Instead, it was this sick no-looker right to Lamont for a dunk. They had, you know, I'll talk about this later, but they had 17 assists on 29 bats. It was the most fluid, just confident game that they had played. I mean, it was probably the best game they played all season, and you could just see the, just the, uh, like, yes, we're here. So
1: that's that was, that was my thoughts, or my initial reaction of the game. It's, I mean it's interesting i remember pretty vividly after the arkansas loss how many fans had this woe is me approach to the team and like the team wasn't going to be able to do anything for the rest of the year and i remember engaging and they were like you know teams that win in march don't make these kind of mistakes they don't lose when they're up four with 19 seconds or whatever it was right and all this stuff and I went and I remember like finding each of the final four teams from the previous year and finding a game that they had something similar happen where they were they were going to win and then at the very end they collapse and being like, this is a thing that happens. Like you don't realize this because you don't watch every game of every team every year, but this is 100% something that happens. And so this isn't the end of the year and people were very much just like the year is over. Um,
0: and I now, remember... To your point, the team's I remember. In the Sweet
1: 16. To your point, I remember.
0: So for Maui, they shuttle you back and forth between like mm-hmm. where you're staying and the gym, and we're all going back to the hotel that they have allocated for staying state. And that was, I've I've been on losing teams in like high school that were that we lost or like got you know we were didn't do well in the playoffs or whatever. That was more upbeat than that bus of fans coming back after the Arkansas game. Everybody was just like, we just got our butts kicked against Arizona and then we do that. And then there's the whole muscleman thing that happened and everybody's just like, this is not what we were going for. And everybody was shell shocked and just like, then kind of just in little brother San Diego mode of like, Oh, like we're just always against the, you know, and this is always what happens and this, that, and the other. And to see them kind of come out the other side is fantastic. So let's, let's get into the game a little bit here. So, um, Micah Parrish, I mean, he was definitely the star of this one. Uh, he had – let's see here. Micah Parrish had played 21 minutes. He had 16 points, 6 for 11 from the field, uh, 2 for 5 from 3, 6 rebounds. Again, he's a really sneaky rebounder, but mm-hmm. they call him Micah Bean, which has kind of come out in the last couple of days, and, like, he's
1: got that big game energy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the game I was thinking about earlier – I was out walking around, and uh, I was thinking about like that record, that 16 and two, and I don't remember what my what my prediction was for the non-conference, but I was thinking about how like that record could have been more than 15 and three because they gave up a couple games late, and then I was like, you know what though, it could have also easily been less, and one of the games I thought about was was it Irvine when Parrish hit uh-huh. that three late to to seal that game. Like, it also could have easily been been less than the record that they had. And there was enough games where between that one, between Butler hitting his three at New Mexico, like could have been worse. But Parrish, yeah, he, he has had a knack for some of these games to just hit big time shots and big time moments that really carry the Aztecs over the top. And it's gonna be very exciting trying to or not trying to but it's going to be very exciting watching him for the rest of this year and then seeing like what he does he still has I think two years left I think that's right right so like so it's going to be exciting to watch him for the rest of his career honestly I think he is going to be such
0: a big part of this team next year. You can already see the way he gets more minutes at crunch time because he plays those press-breaking moments out. That's an adjustment Dutch has made with him and Seiko. Mm-hmm. And his kind of just fearless attitude and not being afraid of that moment is seeping into the rest of the team. And they've they've been so much better from when they made that change going into the Mountain West tournament. And you can see how he's his personality is kind of being a, is a little bit more contagious, and, you know, next year when is presumably he's going to be the starter, you know, he's going to be the start, probably take for Bradley's spot.
1: Uh, probably. Just
0: how he's going to just keep elevating himself within within the team. So let's move, let's move on to Matt Bradley because he was unbelievable. He was the anchor. You could really feel Matt Bradley. Like, there's been times this season where he's been a little invisible, and you're like, all right, then he kind of – he didn't even have his most efficient game, but he was 3 of 10 mm-hmm. from the field, had 10 points. But he, you could feel his presence. You could feel how the defense was gravitating towards Matt Bradley. And I just thought he played – I just he was the cornerstone of the team that we've kind of been promised the last two years.
1: Yeah, he, he seemed to have a very and, – and some of this is based just off the box score because I didn't see the Charleston game. But he seemed the last two games to have a very calming presence on the team like a, we're going to get through this because I'm not going to allow you to not get through this, right? Um, and the first game that showed up more in, in the numbers, right? I think he had like 17 points in the first game and it was it was pretty efficient. And Furman didn't have those numbers as much but hit some timely baskets similar to Parrish, right? And hit some tough ones in the mid-range and hit his free throws. That was the big one, right? So very much coming out as the leader and kind of... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Something about him being the best player on the por- on the court. I can't think of the word. I apologize. But showing that he's the best player on the court and, like, everybody just get on my back because we're all going to make it there. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, he's just – he was the – you're right.
0: He's just the best player on the court. And, some, you know, we've been waiting for him to kind of have that stamp and, like, the, the confidence that he's had shooting those free throws. you can see it on his face compared to last year. It's different. And whatever he's saying to himself at the free throw line, he's whispering something to himself at the free throw line, whatever it is, like whatever's pumping himself up is working. And I'd love to like, that is like growth as a person, right? Like giving yourself the positive mind, like giving yourself, putting yourself in a position to be successful. Like I'm sure, you know, as a teacher, like he's giving himself positive reinforcement to go in there to be successful. And he, he's, he's very, visually obvious like he's whispering something to himself and i think it's really cool and i think it's really great to see that as a growth of a person that like he didn't let that get him down he wasn't kind of like angry kind of forcing the issue but he adjusted just his mindset when he's in these pressure situations and he's been cash money you know the last three games in those spots so just really great to see i'm really happy for him right like he's just like he carried the team last year. And got a lot of criticism that, yes, it happened and probably deserved a little bit, like, but we never would have been in those positions in the first place kind of thing. And I just, you know, he's really cemented himself as, like, one of the great transfers to come to this team.
1: Yeah. I mean, really happy for him. Really happy for all the guys. Oh, totally. Honestly. And, and, and you know happy for him happy for parish and Tremel who transferred here right especially happy for the guys who are left over from that 2020 team that never got the chance to do this a lot of lot of happiness a lot of joy to go around and it's it's you know matt bradley has been i don't know if polarizing is the right word because They're he, like, he was polarizing at some year. points especially early at some points he's been very he he like rides waves right he like is very good when he's at his best he's elite and then he like has these slumps where he's not as good um but yeah seeing him be where he's at right now has been has been a joy to watch for sure he it's funny because this team is kind of a retro basketball team in the sense like we have
0: a volume scorer who's kind of inefficient And then we've been dominating, going down to the low post. You might as well put us in 1996 because that is basically the style of basketball they played then. It's, you know, we're kind of zagging to everybody's three-point shooting and like fast pace, and like we're just like grinding it down and playing and playing that old-school style. So, and Matt Bradley fits that perfectly. He's just kind of the volume scorer. He can be a little inefficient, but the dude hits big shots, and he hit big shots against Utah State. He hit big shots against Charleston, and he, I think, he sparked that run against Furman in the first half where he definitely had it was a fast break. It was definitely an and one, and the guy kind of went flying off of him. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's been outstanding. So let's move on to the other guard, though. Lamont Butler, he had the most – no, second most minutes behind Bradley at 25 and a half. He had 12 points, six assists, six rebounds. Nobody's done that since Richie Williams against Indiana. I saw that nugget online. Got to always shout out Richie Williams. That's an old school one. But, um, again, he played just suffocating defense – he definitely made up for his perform- – like he was he made up for his first half performance against Charleston Lamar. He was good in the second half, but his first half was a little rough. And he's put three good halves in a row of just being Lamont Butler Island. Shout out Kyle. Like he has been that guy for the last three halves of basketball.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I noticed – the thing I noticed the most, and this isn't Lamont Butler specific, but I think he was also helping run a lot of it, which is weird for a guard, and I could be wrong about it, but – you know, the Aztecs would switch against Furman, and it would be somebody like Butler or Trammell in the post, but what they're doing is they're then switching off the ball, so they'll find somebody who's away from the play, like a rope who's guarding like the weak side corner, and Butler who's in the post and a rope who's in the corner will then switch while the ball is elsewhere, um, which is super tricky to do, right? There are NBA teams that struggle to do that without like enough practice time, Um and I'm sure it's not the first time they've done it this season, but it's it's the first game against Furman that was the first time I saw it happen as many times as it did and as consistently as it did. And there were even times where, like, I remember there was one play specifically Butler was down low and a rope was starting to come over, but then Butler noticed, like, something was about to happen. He was like, no, you stay. And I'm just gonna take this one because it's gonna like it's gonna work out better if I'm here than is if we switch, because if we switch they're gonna score because of the timing and whatever. Um but yeah, the way he's been he's been dominating guys, right? it's it's they had, you know, Bothwell or whatever his name was, and he did not have the best of games. Um yeah, their other, their other point guard, that. JP Pugues, was three for
0: fifteen, and that was their he, other starting yep, point yep, guard. And,
1: Butler had a big part of that too, right? It's, it's you can never, I think we as fans, we like to attribute this these things to like one guy. And with the Aztecs defense, you can't. And really with defense in general, you can't. But with the Aztecs defense especially, you can't because there's so much switching. But that being said, like Butler has been a huge part of it. And he is an absolutely elite defender. And it's a joy to watch him play defense and just get into the heads of the other guys. And like you can see it in their face how frustrating it is. To play against him.
0: Yeah, the one player mentioning, I remember that you're talking that when they, they were doing those off ball switches, but there wasn't enough time. And he, I think he had four fouls at the time, too. And he kind of just went, arched his back back to where he was, his hands were almost behind his bed to, head to make sure he wasn't going to foul. And the guy kind of short-armed it because he was expecting it to be more physical, almost. And it was just like a great heady play to kind of stay in the position, but not foul. But no, you're right. I noticed it. I've noticed the off ball switching quite a bit especially when Trammell's out there, that seems to be an adjustment that they've made um, because they were hunted. I think it was the Colorado State game. They were really hunting that a little bit, which they should when Tanjay was kind of hunting out the Trammell switch. Like that's the obvious, that's the obvious move. So they really, they've really figured that out. And that, that takes high IQ guys. Like you can't just be like, you know, on the fly be like, Hey, switch me while you're kind of wa- watching the ball, but watching it. Like that takes just a lot of, coordination and effort and kind of having principles on when it's okay to do it. Like that takes a lot of just, just practice of doing, doing that. So, all right, Trone, other than that, and the 17 assists on 29 baskets, when you just kind of look at the box score and just the rawness of that, what, what else sticks out
1: to you from just the raw, the raw numbers? You know, oops, am I still muted? I'm not still muted. Good, sweet, great radio. Um, (laughs) From the raw numbers, I think it's just nice to see the balanced scoring effort, right? Which is something that's been a trend all season, really, right? It's never just one guy like it was last year. There's a lot of balance. Um, Darian Trammell had a nice comeback game. It still wasn't, like, the most efficient. 13 points on 9 shots, uh, 2 assists to 1 turnover, only 1 steal. But, like, compared to the game before... It was really nice. And once again, like, the shots Tremel made were as timely as they can be in a game that you're, like, leading by 20, right? Like, it it felt like live, and I don't know to what extent this is actually true, but it felt like live any time Furman had a chance where they could make one of those 8-0 runs and the Aztecs have those scoring droughts and get back into it, right, where the Aztecs tend to fall apart late. It felt like Tremel ended a lot of those early. Cool. Like, Furman yes. would get down and they would score. Great and then maybe even they score twice and you start to think like is this where like it's going to happen and you're not really worried about it because the Aztecs are up 20 so even if Furman has like a 14 run it's still you know you're still in an okay position but then Tremel comes down and hits like a ridiculous fadeaway three right um so that was that was really nice to see just just the balance and and the smoothness with which they played. I think Carly mentioned it. I'm sure a couple other people did as well. But I was kind of worried that the nerves from the first game wouldn't be back because now it's not your first win for the program in a long time. Now it's, you know, can you make it to the Sweet 16? And that's a different kind of pressure. So I was like, I don't know if they'll be looser or if they'll be even tighter knowing that they can make it to the Sweet 16 now. And they were much looser. So that was, that was really nice to see. I think the last thing is just how determined they were to get the ball inside. I think that's been really nice, and especially when you have guys like Ladie, when you have guys like a Rope that can score inside, and then the guards getting inside too, whether it's Butler or Bradley or whoever. Mensa was three for three, Johnson was three for three, so like they really focused on getting the ball inside. And I think I think it was you I mentioned this too, like how early in the year the team was all offense first, they were living and dying by the three pointer, and I always struggle with that because it's really fun to watch until the Mountain West tournament when that three-pointer is going to not fall in the championship game and then by the end of the year here they've switched it around and now they're doing defense and they're scoring inside and it's wonderful to see and that three-pointer not falling has continued into the tournament not just for San Diego State but league wide like it's nobody's hitting their three-point shots Utah State lost because they went like four of 24 I just are recording of this Purdue lost. They couldn't hit their threes. I just watched Michigan State. They made it to the Sweet 16, um, but they were the third best three-point shooting team in the nation, and they hit, like, two of 16 in the game against Marquette. So nobody's making threes. Marquette was the one team to make threes. They ended up losing, but still, like, you know, nobody's making threes. And so that's something that we'll get into it later, but I'm, I'm interested to see how that works with Alabama. But, you know, scoring inside... Is just so so fundamental, and I'm I'm you know some of it I'm sure is my basketball biases too, and just liking that inside physical play. But um, they struck that note at the right time, and I think that's one of my bigger takeaways. I will say the Charleston team, I was super impressed with it, <laughs> and it
0: would have been really fun to watch those guys in the regular season when they're bombing threes like that. Like
1: when mm-hmm. I mean, we
0: were watching, I was like, because we talked about it like, wow, these guys shoot a lot of threes. Like look at their Ken stats. they shoot. A ton. It was so both of those teams were so noticeable. It's just like they jacked up everything. They, yep. they thought they got a look and they jacked up everything. And to your point, like they'd hit these really tough ones and you'd be like, oh, like, is this where they kind of catch a little fire? And Darien kind of cut the head off the snake right at the beginning and didn't kind of, it didn't let it spread. And that is a huge thing that the Aztecs have not been great at since last year against Creighton. And again, to see that evolution and just like, no, like we're stopping this now. And they just made them so miserable. That did not look fun. Their coach looked beaten down. The the mm-hmm. sideline reporter at one of the time one of the media timeouts, they they kicked it to her and she goes, "The coach didn't do Xs and Os. He just told his players to smile and have fun. Like, guys, remember uh, this yeah. is a good time." Yep. And it was uh-huh. just like such and then they and then they kind of switched to the coach and he had a scowl on his face and it was like, "Oh, well, he didn't take much of his own advice there. <laughs> like he looks miserable." <laughs> um, but that's that's what happens and it just I just am so happy that this has happened to this team. And, um, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to skip Homer and Hater. There's nothing to hate on after this. We're, we're going to the Sweet 16, so we're skipping Homer and Hater today. We're, we're all Homers. We're going to play Alabama. So we'll skip that. So, one thing I want to touch on you and I have went back and forth a little bit on Twitter and you mentioned it is just the evolution of this team. We thought this was going to be a run and gun, maybe we'll lose a little bit on defense. And at the end of the day, We are kind of classic San Diego State. We are like our first conversation ever was comparing them to 2010 and 11, where we used to pound it inside with our four power forwards. And that is kind of that's what we did against Furman. And like and that's what we did against Charleston and Utah State. And it's 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 just the coaches get a lot of grief. But the coaches have made a strategic evolution on this team that I think they get a lot of credit for. But what is your, I mean, I know you have your you know, your noted biases on the big guys. What are your um, other takeaways of just the evolution of this group
1: throughout the year? Uh, I've said, I've said a couple times on on the show, you know, we, we did talk about, you, you mentioned the team, you compared them to 2010, 2011. And I, I early on was comparing them to the 1920 team that didn't get the tournament. Right. And. As the year's gone on, I feel like the 2018, the 17-18 team, Dutcher's first year, has been the best comparison because that year was kind of similar in the way that Dutcher came in and he had this new offensive system that nobody knew what it was going to be yet. And they played USC in that closed-door scrimmage, and they walloped USC um, because USC didn't know what to prepare for, so they didn't know how to stop the offense. And that team was, like, okay early on. They had a win at home against, like, number 10 Gonzaga. I think they were number 10 at that time. Right, so, like, they had a big win early on, but then they also lost to Cal. Um, So it was, like, very up and down, and then Trey Kell missed a couple games, and then he comes back from injury, and the defense really focuses in on that defensive mentality, and then they won, like, nine games in a row. And they did lose in March, but they were the twelve seed, I think, and they lost to a five-seed Houston, and they lost by one shot. Um didn't they win the tournament to kind of get in the tournament? Like yeah, they were like, they weren't very even, the even going like, to be in. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't even in the NIT if I remember correctly. And then yeah. they won, they made it to the championship game and it was like, okay, if they lose, they'll probably be in the NIT because they've won these extra couple games. And then they beat New Mexico. And that's probably the game in San Diego state history. I've watched the most is that game. Just cause it's one of the games that I have recorded. Right. And it's, it's a fun game to watch. Um, regardless so I I think that's a good evolution and and one other thing that I'd like to make about that that I haven't made on the show is one of the evolutions of that team was Trey Kell when he came back didn't only bring like a defensive mentality but brought a playmaking mentality and a mentality of if you watch that championship game he refused to settle for jump shots and that was super important especially like three-point jump shots and that was super important for him because he wasn't a great shooter but he was very crafty and could get to the rim. And I think Lamont Butler, in a lot of ways, fits a very similar mold where he brings that defensive intensity. His playmaking has gotten a lot better. He was threading the needle against these Furman guys, right? I don't know how well that's going to work against Alabama, but he was making some tight passes. He had five assists in like the first 12 minutes or something like that against Furman, so he was making some passes. He was making plays for other guys, um, and he's he's always been good at getting to the rim. Finishing hasn't always exactly been there, and I think it has gotten better, but he's so fast that he can just blow by guys and get to the rim, and so I think that's another another comparison and another part of that evolution. Like it's easier to score inside when you have a guard who can make that pass and thread that needle. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a
0: good comparison. I, I will say we, we've compared this team to a lot, but now that they've made a sweet 16 and they're getting that third banner, there will be years that we compare people to this team. And, they, and I hope people realize the greatness of this team and where they've made it. This is the third time ever the Aztecs made it to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. This team is now the one that people will compare people to LeBovt Butler. They'll be like, who is the who could kind of fill the the AG role? Who's yep. you know And that that is a thing that as much hate is like, oh, these guys will never be some of the old teams. This team just cemented itself as that team and kind of the maturation of the season and. you know, different, like it was like an octopus with different tentacles being part of everything where it'd be like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, like, and I thought that that's different than other seasons where, you know, the Thames year was like, it was Thames' team, like, you know, that team Trey Kell kind of took that on in the second half of the year, like, I've never seen such a team effort because usually in mid-majors, it's like you need a Steph Curry to go crazy to make this Mm -hmm, mm win-16 and we're not really a mid-major, but like the point still stands of like Usually when you come from outside the P6 like you got to yeah. have one guy. This is a true team and I think that's one of the things that could elevate us kind of into the next stratosphere of just like why, why they, they could beat Alabama, why they still could win a multiple games in this tournament because they have so much going on. So so, yeah, any, any other big picture thoughts of just the Evolution team? The other thing I had was the, where they kind of stand in the lore of Aztec history. I think we've touched on that. Any other just like at this juncture going into the second weekend of just how you feel in your overall Aztec fandom history, how this one fits in with that?
1: Yeah, you know, it is it is tough. It is, it is really tough I like the point you made about how like people right now will be like this team will never live up to the teams of old because 10 years from now whatever team is there won't be able to live up to this team right like that's just how time works it's, it's just like I teach history that's that's how people look back on things um, so that's a really interesting interesting way to look at it I think, I mean, ultimately, we we don't know because this season isn't over yet, right? If this team beats Alabama somehow on Friday, I think the game was announced. I don't think there's a time for it yet. I, I've seen both Thursday and Friday, but I'm pretty sure it's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. Great. I like that because that means I'll get to watch it. Um, you know, if the team somehow beats Alabama, all of a sudden, whether it should be or not, this is the best team in Aztec history, right? And I, I think – us as fans, myself included, tend to sometimes put too much emphasis on the result of one game. Um, but that being said, it would be the only team to make the Elite Eight. Where it stands right now, I think it's probably better than like that 2014 team with Xavier Thames, um, but probably not quite as good as like 2020 or 2011. Is probably so. It's like the third out of the out of those four. Great company to still be in, though. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, just any order you have those four in, I feel like is valid for one reason or another. So,
0: every every one of those groups has a different awesome thing. Whether it's the first time you made the Sweet 16, 2014, those guys beat Kansas. You know, Mm -hmm. the 2020 team was just they just were they were just a train, a freight train, a runaway freight train, and this team this team evolved and matured and then kind of silenced all of the internal haters almost. And it. it the, each one is kind of different and like that the others were, they built throughout the season or had this one signature thing. The Aztecs signature thing didn't happen until Saturday. There was no signature, uh, you know, like the BYU game at the very beginning of the year was awesome because we hate BYU, but BYU ended up being sure. terrible. So it meant, it meant yep. nothing. I mean from like a metric standpoint, like mm-hmm. the the signature thing for this team was the butt kicking that they gave Furman. And it kind of just ultimately crescendoed and hopefully continues to kind of crescendo through the tournament, but it was it's just was such a stamp and such a ascension throughout the year that's been different than the other teams, I would say.
1: Yeah. I mean I, I just I had to go back and look at the schedule to see like what could qualify as one of those signature things. Like your best win is probably Ohio State on a neutral. And that ended up not even being a quad one game. Yeah. Or at least your best non-conference win, right, was Ohio State on the neutral. Like, other Mountain West teams had more quad one wins in the non-conference than the Aztecs did, right? Which is which is a, a bummer. It's just the way that it happened, right? Like, the signature is maybe beating Utah State three times. If if you're kind of of the opinion that Utah State is, like, the new rival, which I kind of am, but... Um, it's not as much history as a UNLV or a BYU, so that gets that gets tricky, right? So yeah, like making the Sweet Sixteen is is that that signature moment.
0: I, I will say, not to get too just in the moment and um, just a little hyperbolic, but this game against Alabama, who is the number one overall seed, this is the biggest game in San Diego State history it's not even close. I don't think Arizona was the number 1 seed. I don't think Yukon was the number 1 seed and the other two. This is mm-hmm. the number 1 seed and this is the biggest game ever in San Diego state history that we are about to play. Just based on who we're playing in the situation like that is I think that's pretty objectively true. I don't know, do you agree?
1: I I think that's probably fair. Um I mean in hindsight, the game against UConn was big just because they went on to win the national championship, and because of like the run that Kemba how was on close at that it point. kind of was late, and and yeah, Kemba's on that team, and like you know, so th- like there's a lot in hindsight that made the game big, but I think you have to judge it by how it was at the time the game was played, right? Like nobody knows for sure UConn is going to go win that championship. Um, Alabama is is a one seed, definitely Arizona. I'm pretty sure you're right. wasn't wasn't a one seed. I mean, that's a big game because it's kind of geographically close. Uh, also, it's Alabama. Like, that's such a
0: that's but, such a yeah. central figure villain in college sports. I know it's a little different football than bat
1: like basketball, sure. football, less so. But it's still Ala freaking Bama, and they're
0: number one in the mm-hmm. country.
1: Like, that's a that's a big deal. And then I mean, we'll get into it later. But given all the both the on the court and off the court stuff, yeah, I think amplifies it a little bit more. So. Yeah, big game. Absolutely. So, all right, let's just dig into it. I'm just going to go over
0: a little bracket stuff. So, we are obviously playing Alabama on Friday. No time yet. Other stuff in the South region. Princeton moved on. They beat the snot out of Missouri. Um, Crazy. Good for them. They beat Arizona to then beat Missouri. They will play the winner of Creighton Baylor, which I think is going on right now. But this March Madness site doesn't have the score updated, so I don't have that. Um, uh, Arkansas fellow Maui team moved on with like late game heroics against Kansas which is interesting I was really hoping to be the last Maui team standing since we kind of didn't play so well in Maui that I wanted to be the last Maui team standing but they moved on they played UConn UCLA has moved on those are some of our normal people we see around um, that are still there oh and then the late game tonight is FDU who beat my childhood Purdue Boilermakers? I was actually born in West Lafayette, and I'm actually with my dad, who has been all of his Purdue gear. And it was not, it was not an enjoyable watching experience <laughs> watching that game. But they play Florida Atlantic tonight. Um, that's the that's the late game. So moving into our just looking forward, we're going to have other deep dive stuff on Alabama, but we'll kind of just do the top, skim through the Ken Palm and things like that. But um, the Aztecs play Alabama. They are number two in Ken Palm. They were thirty-one and five. They're sixteen and two in conference. They were the SEC champs. Um, I think you have to, you cannot talk about this team if you don't talk about the Brandon Miller situation. He's probably going to be the second pick in the NBA draft. Um, one of their teammates was kicked off the team for allegedly murdering a girl uh, in in Tuscaloosa, I believe. And Brand, basically, the guy texted Brandon Miller to come pick him up, and there was an unknown gun in the car and Unknowingly, He's not been charged with anything per Alabama law, but basically unknowingly picked him up to give him the weapon and not great. Their coach hasn't handled it great. Um, their fans haven't handled it great. They had some guys get kicked out of the SEC tournament for wearing wildly inappropriate t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So, and it's a, just a, first off, it's a horrible situation. The, the first and foremost thing you have to talk about is the victim and that's Obviously, the most important thing times a million of college basketball, but there is a there is a weird cloud around this team, and now we are in that orbit, and so that will be an interesting way to see. Like, first off, the whole country will be rooting for us because they've just handled this whole situation very poorly, um, and then just the fact that a, a young woman lost their life to somebody that's been associated with their team, that, that that is just that is just truly awful, and so I think that just has to be kind of put. You can't ignore it, and so. You know just want to make sure that that's aware uh, did i from what you understand Trent, did i miss anything or mess anything up on that
1: i don't think so i haven't followed it super closely partially because um it's, it's Alabama and i didn't think i would have <laughs> to worry about it partially it is it is absolutely terrible partially because um it felt almost like it was getting politicized to a certain extent um and i don't shy away from politics i do on this show um but the reason i do isn't because like i think politics shouldn't be talked about it's because i never feel like i'm knowledgeable enough about any subject to give like an educated viewpoint which is kind of scary maybe for a teacher to say um i think it's just more reflective on like the high bar i set for myself before i want to talk about something in a public forum like this and i didn't think i was ever gonna have to talk about it and so i was like i wasn't too worried about it and it feels like like everybody who says something is motivated more by what they want to be true rather than what is true um not not like you or me obviously but you know like gary parish goes out and says stuff and it feels like he's a little iffy on what he says and then like their fans say things and i'm like that feels a little iffy too so i i don't know All the specifics, but from what from what I understand, from what I understand, basically what you said is true. Is like he didn't know the gun was in the car. He just got a text to go pick up his friend, and then the friend like grabbed the gun out of the car that Miller didn't know was there, right? And so, it's a tough situation for him to be in. Um, And you definitely feel for for the family of of the victim. I kind of feel for Miller a little bit because of him being. I don't even want to like phrase it the wrong way, but just him not, not like understanding the gravity of the situation he was in because the people around him weren't making great choices basically. Um yeah, it's it's a it's a tough thing for like everyone involved basically. It, it stinks that we have to be in the orbit of this. I think that's yeah. my
0: least favorite part of it. I mean from a yeah. from a Aztec basketball perspective of our season sure not, not the important the important not the absolute important thing like let's let's make sure we're clear on what the most important thing is, and <laughs> that is that young woman's life but from an aztec basketball fan perspective in the story of the season absolutely it just stinks that that this is now a thing that's involved um just from that one lens i don't want to again i don't want to minimize that what actually happened but just from an aztec fan perspective that's that's how i feel um And it's just, I'm not going to, I just tried to lay out the controversy. I'm not going to give my opinion on this. Uh, I I don't, I don't want to get a bunch of angry DMS from Alabama fans trying to scout us a little bit on this. Like I, it's just, I, it's too bad. It's just awful. What happened? Yeah. It's awful. How the coach. I think the coach has handled it really poorly. Just sticking his foot in his mouth over and over again. He's not, he's not. any means under investigation but there's a lot of things here that could could have probably been done differently in my opinion but what's done is done and just hopefully justice is served to the people that committed the crime the actual crimes that happened and Mm -hmm. you know not let it taint what a special season the aztecs have had so far so leave it at that close the book on that Mm -hmm. let's talk about let's 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 go back to fantasy land and talk about basketball um, <laughs> I like uh, fantasy land. You know, Ken Palm has us projected to lose seventy-two to sixty-seven. Uh, Brandon Miller, um, from a basketball perspective, is an outstanding basketball player. He's projected to probably be the second pick in the NBA draft. Um, he's a six-nine freshman. Uh, he plays their small forward spot. So my question to you is: Trying, we have both been team. Don't change the starting lineup, but because mm-hmm. of the. Metrics of our physical statistics of the Aztecs. Sure. Do, do you actually think it's worth, it's worth the thought of changing up the starting lineup? And if so, what would you do?
1: I think. I feel like most anything is worth considering at some point. Um, if I was to change the starting lineup, I'd probably just swap out Tremel for like Parrish. Um, is probably all that I do. And that way Parrish is, is 6'6". He's a solid defender in his own right. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's the best choice for a person to guard Miller. I think probably a rope is that guy. But if you put a rope in that spot or if you move in a rope to play, like, power forward and put Kashad in that spot, there's, like, other issues offensively with the shooting and the spacing. and And so there's other things there i i don't change the starting lineup um and i think there's a couple reasons why that are very intertwined i think coach dutcher is very built on like routine and keeping everything the same and there's a certain amount of of calm that comes that comes with that and that's whether it's people whether that's you or me whether that's like my dog, like if you guys have dogs, if you're listening, like my dog knows what time it is at all times, he knows what's supposed to happen next because it's the routine, right, and if it doesn't happen, I mean, he doesn't freak out, he's super resilient, but he's just like, "When is this thing gonna happen like it has to happen, it was supposed to happen already um so I think routine is important. I think Dutcher knows that, and that's why he's so um like resist on keeping keeping the rotation persistent. It's a fantastic word. So I, th- I think that's part of it, and I think I have an anecdote, and I'm sure there are times where people change the lineup and it worked out fantastically. The anecdote I have is from last season. Wyoming had a pretty good year you stole overall, You from right? me. They made the tournament. Did I steal it from oh, you? Oh yeah, I, I was, I was thinking the same thing. I, yeah, so they had a pretty good year, and they faced was it Indiana? Yep, Indiana in the in the playing round, and they decided to change their starting lineup to fit the sizes better and match up uh, height and lengthwise better, and it it kind of threw off the team, and it very well could have been other things that threw off the team as well but there's just you know guys get used to playing in certain positions at certain times and doing certain things and you get used to playing with your group of guys and so if you take out Tremel and throw in Parrish in there and now the starting lineup is in there and like butler is expecting Tremel to be in a certain place and now he's not there anymore and that that can cause an issue and it could be something super overt like butler just throws the ball to a spot where nobody is right it probably wouldn't be that it would probably just be something where butler kind of like thinks about making that pass and barely even motions it and remembers partway through the motion that tramell isn't actually there but that slows down everything right now you're not in the flow of the offense anymore and against a team as good defensively as alabama that might be all it takes to ruin that entire possession um, so there is value in, in the consistency of keeping it the same. I do think the hook on the starting lineup might be shorter. There might be an earlier push to get some of those bigger bodies in, whether it's Ladee, whether it's a rope, whoever. It might be Parrish, um, but I do think you keep the starting lineup the same and kind of figure out how to do it. And I mean, shoot, look at the tape from from FDU and what they did to Zach Eady because FDU's tallest guy was 6'6". And Zach Edey was, was, what, 6'4"? And they were able to, like, make life tough for that whole team. So there are ways to guard a taller guy as a smaller player. It's definitely not easy. But there's ways to do it. So if you can survive that for a few minutes and then get into your rotation, I think that's the way to go.
0: I think it. I agree with you. I, If I did, I would I would do what you said. I'd probably put Parrish out. Maybe The other thing that I would do is – probably the other thing that I would think about is maybe Jaden and then bump key shot up to the three, but that just leaves. There's just no, there's not enough shooting in that regard. Jaden hasn't taken the threes. We kind of thought he would. And so there's not Mm -hmm. enough spacing for that, but you're right. I mean, this is going to be a coaching. The coaches are going to have to really find some wrinkles. It's good that we actually have the full week to prepare for these guys. And that does work in reverse for what they're going to do to us too. But hundred percent, you know, finding wrinkles, you know, there's, Carly brought this nugget to me, but some of their losses are Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Texas A&M, and those teams are actually built a lot like the Aztecs from, like, a defensive first um, kind of smaller, but, like, you know, all those, you know, the two losses at the end of the season, Texas A&M and Tennessee, were both 68-59, 67-61, so those are both, you know, kind of in the range of how we want to muck it up and play with them a little bit. It will just be interesting to see, you know, what they kind of throw in there, like, do we like i know we dabbled with the little zone early in the season like do they have that in the back of their bag that they've kind of been working on a little bit do they have that 131 one? i think that's what they kind of did early in the season um i you know to your point about like the routine i do think from that perspective this team they they sub at like 16 minutes every time so it's not like they're getting huge run- and, the, and the starters do play the most amount of minutes together still and, like that's still the number one lineup but it's not like other teams and so they do bring in other guys and cycle them in and out that I wouldn't be as worried about that as instead of like say you play seven guys and then you bring two in and they always play the same exact stretches of time like an NBA team I think that's a different scenario than kind of how amorphous the Aztecs can be with their lineups of just figuring it out until something works or whatever their game plan is for that specific game but I think I'd let it ride it's got you this far so why why mix it up now you know I there's a there's definitely a world in where Darian Tremell placed 12 minutes in this game if that is just kind of how it works out like there's a world that that happens and then there's also another world where he's just frisky and all over the place and maybe they do a bunch of weak side doubles when they try to post him mm-hmm. up and steal on the ball like there's a world of that too and so I think you know they this team is peaking at the absolute ab- I mean that was the best game they played against Furman uh, I think it was Torvik I think it's the Torvik metric. That since January something, they're the best defense in the country. Granted, Alabama's the fifth best defense in the country since that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the Aztecs are playing out-of-this-world defense, and their schemes seem to be working. Whenever they do switch up, you know, like, look at Utah State. They adjusted three separate times, so they mm-hmm. have things in their bag that they work on that they can trust to, to, move, to maneuver based on the game situation.
1: Yeah, it was mentioned, I think it was on CBS Sports, they mentioned the last three games the Aztecs had played were against Utah State, Charleston, and Furman, and those are all pretty good offensive teams. Like in Ken Palm, Charleston is the worst one, and they were in like the 70s. Furman was, I think, in the 30s, and Utah State was in like the high teens, I think, meaning like 17 or 18 or something like that. And in the last three games, the Aztecs held all three of those teams to their season low in terms of overall scoring and I think some of that is pace especially with Charleston and Furman because they're so fast and and the Aztecs slow it down some but a lot of it is also efficiency absolutely and and defending the three well and guarding the paint well and, and doing the whole thing the Aztecs defense has been mucking things up I do think it's a little bit easier to do that against somebody like Charleston or Furman than it is against Bama but that being said like once again Charleston and Furman were good offensive teams so it's uh We'll, we'll we'll see what happens here.
0: I will say Alabama's offensive profile, at least based off like what I was looking at, Ken Palm of the three, mm-hmm. very similar. They shoot 47% of their shots are threes. They make an average amount of threes, which is exactly what Charleston and Furman were. And they have the fifth adjusted tempo in the country, so they want to play fast. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: if Furman was the lesser version of Charleston, this team is the better version of Charleston, but we've kind of... It's kind of been the same formula from like a metrics perspective of like getting up and down, shooting a bunch of threes and they don't make a ton of threes or they make an average amount of threes. like that's that's pretty consistent. The question is just, just how do you stop the superstar? I mean that's that's the number one question in this game. how do you stop the superstar? And to, and also I was also looking on Evan Mia, which I was surprised by, but their center, the seven foot center, uh, Charles Bediaco, it was like the fit so I think it was Miller was the second ra- rated player on Evan Mia. And Betty was like the eighth rated player on Evan Mia from his metric. So they also have him too. So, but he's a, he's a sophomore and, you know, I just think, you know, we'll go into optimism later, but their youth, their youth is something we need to use against them for sure. So before, before jumping into that, what are your, obviously just other than they're superstars and they're the number one seed from, I know you've watched some of the Texas A&M game. What are some of your things that you've seen that bring,
1: that bring you the biggest concern? The biggest concern, I think, is actually their defensive side of the ball. You mentioned You mentioned the offense. They, I think, I could probably look it up real quick. I think between Furman and Charleston and Bama, Bama runs even more so than both Furman and Charleston. So they're like the fastest of them all. And I think they want to shoot more threes than both of them as well. Um, they're, they're, they're top ten in both of them, essentially. Charleston, yeah. Bama was eight. Charleston was nine. Furman is 12. So, like, this is this is the last two teams on steroids offensively. Uh, the trick is the defense. And I, I wrote this for East Village Times. I, I wrote, you know, they asked a bunch of us at the East Village Times. They said, you know, how far do you think the Essex are going to go? And I said I thought just the round of 32. And I thought that because I thought Virginia was going to win. And when, I look at, when you look at the Aztecs on Ken Palm, they are, I think, one in four against top 50 defenses in the nation. I'm trying to pull it up real quick just yeah, to make that's, sure. Yeah, that's but It's, I, I it's not that a good one. record. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's not a good record. Yeah, it's one in four against top. 50 defenses and that one win was boise state at home right the other ones are st mary's on a neutral arkansas on a neutral boise state on the road and arizona on a neutral those were all the top 50 defenses and so it's not it's not great right the aztecs can absolutely muck things up on defense and stay in the game with just about anybody right the only i mean i guess there's been two blowout games right it was arizona and it was home against new mexico Everything else, the Aztecs State in. And even Arizona, they had a lead in the second half, right? It was by one point, yep. but they had a lead very briefly. And then Arizona just, just blew the door down. So, like, their defense can keep them up with anybody. But when they go up against a defense that's as good as theirs, their offense isn't good enough to, like, maintain that oftentimes. And I think that's something, like, that is historically true of the program and then just continues to be true this year. And with that, Alabama ranks third in defense, right? Furman is like 150th or something. I'm trying to see if I can find them on the thing. They're 184th, right? So like the Aztecs were able to, to muck things up and then they were able to score a bunch because they're going up against the average defense. Alabama is third in the nation. So if, you know, like the Aztecs have to muck things up. They have to play to that level to just to keep it close Basically, that's the thing that worries me the most. Um Most Honestly, of the things I've noticed on tape have been offensive things, but the defense is what worries me the most. If if the Aztecs win this game, it might be fifty four fifty four to fifty. It might be. <laughs> you know it that would be. be
0: you know sixty to fifty eight, like something like that. If this game gets in the seventies. I don't think the Aztecs have enough firepower for that. That would be that would be pretty troublesome if that that goes, especially with the way that Adam Seiko really. Hasn't been shooting. He's he's not getting a shot, and when he does yeah. get a sliver of hope, he's not taking it. Um, you know, they need to find him some open looks. Like that is, they need him to make some three pointers to kind of kind of lube up the offense a little bit, get a little oil in the gears of like some three point shooting, because they just they gotta be a little bit more efficient with those. Um, but I think foul try. You know, the, I think you mentioned this on Twitter too. The amount of fouls that they draw is concerning because. This this has to be a Nathan Mensa game. They have a seven foot guy who is one of the top ten players in the country. Yep. Nathan Mensa has to be there. But Nathan Mensa has also stepped up the challenge. I mean, he took on Luca Garza when he was National Player of the Year and shut him down in 2019. Like he, this, it is in him. It is in his. He has it in him, but he cannot take silly fouls. Like he he has to be the best version of Nathan Mensa, because we have to be like you. Take him out. And that's your job. That's your only job. And then you know, well, the, you know the, how they how he helps and stuff is also there, but he has to take out their center, who was a who is a very good player, and if he gets into foul trouble, and then you got to kind of move AG into that spot, and then move someone else to Miller when they the bench guys come in. Um, I think that's a little that would be pretty worrisome. I mean, Miller plays eighty percent of the minutes, so that means he's going to play thirty six or forty minutes. I think is what it kind of comes out to. So he's going to always be on the floor. So we got to have our best long defenders kind of available to take away Miller and if Nathan gets into foul trouble and then we have to put you know I guess Jaden would be the next guy but then he's giving up four inches on that and that's that's not that's not what we're looking for from a defensive perspective on the foul side so yeah. let's 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 flip it though like is there anything you saw you know I know you talked about you know their offense and like we need to muck it up Is there anything that you saw on what you've been watching that gives you reason for optimism?
1: I think the similarity in profile that we mentioned is a little encouraging, just seeing how the Aztecs handled the last couple teams that they've handled that want to run quickly and take a lot of threes, especially with um, how teams have been shooting in the tournament, right? The, The Alabama shoots... 34.1% on threes and averages 34% so they're right at average but teams haven't been shooting well in the tournament so there there is a world I don't know how likely it is but there is a world where Alabama almost like shoots themselves out of the game because they're like running up and taking these transition threes and missing them and the Aztecs get the rebound and are able to score enough of these tough twos in the paint to like when like you said like 60 to 58 or something like that i i don't know how likely that is but that's one thing um i was looking at those games you said carly mentioned like the games that they've lost um and they were all like much lower scoring for the most part and brandon miller fouled out in two of those three conference games that they lost and one other guy fouled out in two of those three conference games that they lost. Um, it, was like, it was usually Brandon Miller and another guy both fouling out. And something that I noticed on tape that I've been putting on Twitter is that because Alabama is so analytically driven, they want to only shoot threes and at the rim. They'll settle for in the paint, um, but none of those, like, mid-range ones that aren't in the paint. They've taken, I think it was like 94 of those all year in 30-plus games. They've taken 94 mid-range shots from outside the paint. Um, So they they absolutely do not like them, right? Which means if you're guarding them at the three-point line and they get by you, whoever rotates over can just stand there and draw the charge. I'm not a big fan of drawing charges because I don't like letting the ref make the decision on what happens. I'd much rather like get the block because then it's not a decision it's a you did the thing you were supposed to do um or a good contest that forces a miss or something but um i i posted two clips on twitter so far and they were both of brandon miller committing charges one was in transition running to the hoop the other one was he he did a up fake and the guy flew by him and he ran up to the rim and committed a second charge and those were both within the first eight minutes of the game and so like if you can get these guys into foul trouble, that could be huge. It's much easier said than done, but it is something they are prone to do. Now, that being said, that game I'm watching where Brandon Miller was in foul trouble within the first eight minutes, Bama still won 82-63. to 63. So it's definitely not the end-all be-all, but it's something that can be done to hopefully take them out of their rhythm a little bit and get that size a little bit more manageable. I just think that...
0: One of the things I'm most optimistic about, and I love that charge thing. I didn't even think about you know that's a great. I mean that that's baseball level analytics that they follow there. Like they that is following the numbers, which you know that that's helpful because it makes them predictable in a sense. Like they are going to shoot threes or do everything they can to get to the rim, which which is helpful and just like the scout of them. I you know I I still don't think they've probably seen a defense like ours in a way that our players are so mature, they're so built they're so more physically advanced because they're older people. Because like in the SEC, like the top teams in the SEC, all those guys are freshmen. All those guys are sophomores. Like Brandon Miller's a friend, like all those top guys are all one and dones, right? Whereas the Aztecs have a group of like juniors, seniors, super seniors, and super, super seniors to then, you know, they have more, you know, they're just more physically matured because they're older and they've played a lot more college basketball and just having some more of just overall maturity, I think really could help them here, help them keep stay a little calmer in some instances, especially if say Brandon Miller just takes a horrible, you know, horrible charge, and then he starts like forcing threes because he's frustrated, you know, that's where the Aztecs defense and how they swarm could really kind of get in there, kind of disrupt their rhythm and really muck it up a little bit. Also, Brandon Miller in his last three games has been shooting like 27%, so. He has not been his best shooting self, and so you don't want to bust a slump against the Aztecs. So I don't expect him to bust his slump again. You know he's not going to come out and shoot fifty five percent against the Aztecs. That would be very, very surprising, considering the last the last three games where he's been under thirty percent.
1: Yeah, I, I will say the SEC has two of the top five defenses in the nation in Tennessee. And in, uh, is it Mississippi State? No, I wasn't. Sorry, who was it? Is it Texas a and um, Oh, it's Alabama. Alabama's the other one, so that doesn't matter. But So they have seen Tennessee, who is the number one defense according to Ken Palm. Mississippi State is eight. Um, so that's another top ten. The Aztecs are five, last I checked. Um, so in that sense, they have seen similar defenses. Now, I, I do think you're right in the sense of veteran presence. And I also, I don't know how... Those teams play. I I have been watching that Texas A&M game, right? Texas A&M is 44th in defense. Um, I haven't noticed them do any of the high-level, like switching type stuff that the Aztecs do, right? That's a pretty unique defense. I don't know how many teams across the nation do it because you you need older players to be able to do it, right? It takes a lot of communication, a lot of practice, a lot of knowing what you're doing. Um, So, in that sense, definitely it could muck some things up and and really mess up these drives to the rim that Alabama wants to do. They aren't going to take the mid-range shots. And so it might just be them shooting threes. And And the weird thing about Furman was it felt like the only threes they made were the ones where there was a hand in their face. And they would get wide-open threes and they would miss them because everybody's just missing threes right now. So if that continues into next into next week, that switching defense could be – um one of those signs of optimism to really muck up those driving lanes and, and mess things up
0: yeah i look this is a challenge of challenges the cha- of all challenges you got to be the to be the best you got to beat the best and this that's where we are that this team has never getting to the final four in any kind of circumstance without kind of taking out a number one seed. and this is the challenge yeah. two have gone down one in a historical fashion like it can't mm-hmm. be done We hung with Arkansas and they beat, you know, we should have beat Arkansas and they beat Kansas. There's this team can win. They can win. And so, you know, will they win? Unknown. There's a there's a lot going on here with just how talented that team is, but they can win. And I guarantee you they will be they will be prepared and ready to go as they can be. First four minutes may be a little shaky like the first round, but (laughs) they will be they will be ready to go. All right, Tron. with that being said, is there any any last thoughts before we wrap up
1: here and um, just uh, get the week going? I don't think so. I mean, like you said, they can win. I don't know what the odds should be. I don't know what the line should be, right? Ken Palm has them as five points. I think Torvik has them as, as four points, both both as underdogs, right? Um, those are both, I think, closer than I would have expected, right? Alabama is a is a super – Good team, and so while I think it's fun for us as fans to be like, we want Bama, let's go take them down. I think if you step back and just be like, not a fan, which is no fun. But if you step back and be like, not a fan, you're like, this is a game that is going to be tough to say, to say the least. Yeah. Um Regardless, it's been fun, and and like you said, they can't. It's March, anything can happen, and this wouldn't even be nearly as crazy as some of the other upsets we've seen. So there's there's a real shot there and hopefully we get to have fun with the game either way and one way or another we're going to look back on this season favorably so hopefully the guys are just loose and go out there and have fun and play their game and let the chips fall where they may couldn't have said it better myself so i'm just going to end it on that
0: because i can't cool. say it any better myself so <laughs> just be on the lookout for all the stuff we're going to try to drop this week i'm sure we'll get yep. in, get into alabama a little bit deeper you know, Carly loves the human interest stuff, maybe I'll give her some homework to go find some fun, feel good stuff <laughs> that, that she can work on. Um, but you know, we, it's been super fun this season. coaster of emotions and uh, yeah, go Aztecs.